Welcome to the NBA Deep Dives podcast as part of the Hashtag Basketball Podcast Network. My name is Nick Agar-Johnson, and I am your host. Today I'm here with Devin Domino to do a quick overview of the Minnesota Timberwolves. Let's get started here. Uh, go right into the offseason overview. Minnesota, probably their biggest acquisition was through the draft in terms of players, but their biggest acquisition overall, in my opinion, was Tom Thibodeau. And certainly Thibodeau represents a coaching upgrade from the Sam Mitchell experiment of last year. How many wins do you think Thibodeau can be worth to this team? I think for the Wolves, he can uh, be worth about six to eight wins for Minnesota. Uh, He's definitely obviously going to improve them defensively. That's priority number one. But if you look back on uh, 2015-2016, the Wolves lost eight games by about three points or less. So, you know, we factor in Tibbs in those eight games and his experience uh, and his intellect and all that factors in, they can win about six to eight more games for them. And I actually could predict them um, going about 42-40 and this season to hit the uh, eighth seed. They definitely have a outside shot, uh, maybe even a decent shot at making the playoffs, especially if Memphis falls off due to injury, although that that Western Conference is awfully crowded, just in general, but especially in that sort of 4-7 to range. So Minnesota definitely has a shot at sneaking into the 8th seed, but I think the biggest difference that Tibbs can make is just in terms of making Towns look better on on the defensive end. He struggled at times there last year. But do you think Tibbs's scheme is going to help Towns, or do you think it's going to be more of a defensive build-up from Wiggins and Levine, who were not plus defenders last season? Well, you definitely want to start with Towns. Um, it's pretty clear that he is the future of that team offensively and defensively. So you want to make sure that he is you know, as solid as he can be defensively, and then kind of branch out, make sure that Wiggins steps up. Wiggins has everything about him says that he should be a great defensive player. He's quick. He has great lateral speed, uh, long arms, long you know, long body. But for some reason, it hasn't translated quite well. So I think um, aside from Towns, prior, uh, another priority would be making sure that Wiggins um, is able to guard you know LeBron or at least stay in front of you know LeBron, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard. These guys that they're going to be facing. Uh, numerous times throughout the year that he's going to need to have a wing defender that's solid go-to guy for him. I think it also will help Thibodeau that Ricky Rubio is already a fantastic defender, just because he'll have he'll have someone at the point of attack and who's got good defensive experience. And Rubio's, I think he's led the league in steals percentage three of the last four seasons. So he's the kind of guy that can really wreak havoc on that end of the floor. And if he can help Thibodeau sort of spread those defensive principles actually from out on the floor, that could really help them. But the other interesting thing about the Thibodeau acquisition is they not only acquired a new head coach, but they also acquired a new head president of basketball operations. So is that going to be the kind of thing where Thibodeau actually plays a significant role in the front office, or do you think Scott Layden is still going to do most of the legwork? Thibodeau's going to be there kind of to reel in Layden. I think Layden kind of gets a bad rap now because of the, the his Knicks days, but that's kind of that's 
far behind him. Uh, most recently, he was with the Spurs, uh, you know, under R.C. Buford and Greg Popovich, who, with like Kevin Pritchard, Sam Presti, have shown that you know they can mold these front office guys to be very good with player evaluation. One thing that stuck out to me with the hire of Scott Layden is that the Timberwolves kind of disclosed it as a player evaluation position, which I don't think is his strong suit. But as far as like trades and things like that, um, I think Thibodeau's going to be more at the helm of those. I think Layden is there more for day-to-day operations. So let's move quickly into a review of the rest of their offseason. Just really quickly, they signed Brandon Rush. Uh, He's probably going to be a rotation wing. Does that sound about right? People tend to forget that his down years with the Warriors when he didn't play much, he was coming off an ACL injury. Took him a while to recover from that, but he's always been a solid three-point shooter, and that can definitely help the Wolves. They also signed... Cole Aldridge, who I don't really see as more of anything besides a fourth big. I mean, he's probably going to be behind Towns, Jang, and Belisa for most of the season, right? Yeah, I mean, I think you can bring him in off of uh, in, in replacement for Towns. He hustles a lot on defense, and I just think that the the deal they got for him. I mean, not to like rag on the Lakers or anything or bring them into this. But, like, you look at, like, a Mozgov signing and you look at the Cole Aldridge signing and it's, like, you got almost the same guy for half the money. He's going to be a great hustle defender. He's just another body they can put in there. But probably somebody who, you know, is just most likely going to be a filler player for them. Yeah, but he does a good job of setting hard screens and at least being in the right place on defense. He's not the most explosive athlete, but he's good at positioning himself, not terrible on the boards, just around average on the boards. And that kind of player is hard to find. It's hard to find human beings that are seven feet tall and can be in the right place on defense and set hard screens. When, when I mean, when you look at like Pekovic being out and Kevin Garnett retiring, he's the perfect player to kind of come in and, you know, fill the role that what they would have been doing this year anyway. Pekovic obviously is, you know, dwindled down, Garnett dwindled down to, you know, shells of what they were in their respective primes. So he's somebody that, you know, fills a, a role for them at least. And it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see how exactly they, um, they use him on offense. But yeah, definitely a, a player who's uh, very smart on defense for sure. So probably their biggest player acquisition was not a free agent signing, but the drafting of Chris Dunn at number five overall. There have been murmurs that Dunn might start after 20 games or so. His offensive game is also a question mark. Uh, he looked great in Summer League. He looked awful in preseason. And his, his first couple of games, he's been, he's been decent. His offense hasn't looked that fantastic, although he did shoot decently against the Grizzlies. But is he going to be more of a defensive player, especially early on? Early on, I think you're going to look at him to be a defensive player. When you have, like, he's either going to be playing with the the, uh, the first team with Wiggins, Levine, Cat, and those guys can score. That's what they do. So he's not going to be looked to for offense that often. And then on the second team, obviously, Brandon Rush, like we talked about, Shabazz uh, Muhammad is a, a great shooter and a, a good post scorer. Belitsa is 
you know, really good shooter. So he's not going to be looked to for offense on either side of uh, whatever whatever rotation he's running with. Definitely a, a player that's uh, going to be used mostly on the defensive end for sure for them. So let's move from the off season into a preview of the season to come. They've played a couple of games already. We'll get into those later. But let's start off with the with the starting lineup. The first first two games they ran out Carl Anthony Towns, Andrew Wiggins, Gorgie Jang, Ricky Rubio, and Zach Levine. One of the things that interested me the most about that particular lineup is that they they seem very committed, uh, certainly early on at least, to playing Towns and Jang together in the starting lineup. But do you, do you think that's the the best lineup rotation for them? I think as of right now, it is. Belisa, I just don't think that he's worth the starting rotation. And then also, you look, I mean, reports coming out today that they're looking at giving uh, Gorgia Tang an extension. So when you're looking at giving a player like him an extension in this market, you're most likely going to want to keep him, start him. I don't think his trade value is very high right now either. Um, And just the reserves that they have in place right now it's probably best to keep those two together and I, I don't I don't see any reason why they can't get a little high low action going they kind of tried it in the first two games but there's a lot of kinks still there between that uh kind of dynamic but I, I don't see any reason why they can't play together uh at least right now for the time being yeah, the interesting thing about Jang for me is that people sort of group him with the young Timberwolves he's in his is this his third year or his fourth year? I think he's now yeah, he's now entering his fourth year. But he's already twenty six and he'll turn twenty seven during the season. So if the Wolves do end up signing him to an extension, it's gonna be into his early thirties. So they they definitely will need him to perform to the level he's been performing so far this season, and granted it's impossible to draw actual real conclusions from two games in the season but especially uh down the stretch of last year he looked like someone who could be a solid complimentary player on offense uh he's another great shooter from the stripe which will help minnesota especially in late game situations and given that the alternative to him would be bielitsa jang is not you would assume that he would have a little more difficulty guarding some of the stretch fours around the league, but Cat is quick enough to guard those kind of guys if need be, and Bielitsa is not anywhere near a good enough defender for Jang to be any sort of downgrade from him. So I guess the question there will just be what they work out in terms of maybe a trade, but we'll get to that later. Let's go quickly into the idea we brought up earlier of the quote that the Wolves were looking to start done in within about 20 games of the start of the season. So just really quickly, uh, Ricky Rubio had a strained elbow in the game against the Kings. No word yet on how long he's going to be out from that or if he'll be out for a significant time from that at all. But do you think... Dunn is ready to to start at this point in his career? Right now, I, I, it's a very, very hard no. Um, 
he's just uh, he's very raw in his offensive his offensive skills. Everything's there, the skills are there, but it's just not he's I just don't think he's in the position to take the spot over Ricky Rubio, uh barring the injury. But he's looked pretty solid the first two games. I mean, just looking at the numbers here, shooting percentages haven't been anything great, but he hasn't really shot the ball a lot. Should really look to get to the line more. He's somebody that I do think over the course of the season is going to develop into, you know, obviously a rookie of the year candidate, especially with uh, Ben Simmons being out. But, I, I mean, it might take a little longer than 20 games for Chris Dunn to really be the uh, the, the go-to everyday starter for them. The troubling thing for me with Dunn is just that his assist-to-turnover ratio is not what I would look for in a starting point guard. He never got above two assists per turnovers while he was at Providence. He was almost at one-to-one during the preseason. Now, he's currently got five assists against two turnovers, but those numbers mean nothing because we've played two games. If if Dunn is going to start, especially early on, he will he will need to do a better job of taking care of the ball than he did in college. And I think you made a good point bringing up that he's not going to be relied on particularly heavily at the offensive end. Uh, he's had shooting troubles in the past, uh, most notably in preseason where he shot 22%, uh, sorry, 22.6%. So I guess that rounds up to 23%. But if he does enter the starting lineup, I think he's going to be just more of a defensive piece. And luckily he has some wonderful players around him who can shoot the, shoot the heck out of the ball. Uh, Speaking of which, uh, let's go quickly through their front court rotation. They've got Carl Anthony Towns at power forward slash center, depending on how you view Gorgie Jang. They've got Gorgie Jang at the other of those two positions. They've got Andrew Wiggins. And someone that doesn't get talked about much, uh, in my opinion, is Shabazz Muhammad. Now, is Muhammad... Muhammad sort of rotated between small ball four and small forward, but where do you think he would fit long-term? Right now, I would just keep him as as running like a, in, in the three. Um, just part of his success, part of his success um, is actually attributed to, you know, exposing smaller players in the post. And that usually will get taken away if he's playing the four, if he has a bigger guy uh, botting him up on, on defense. Uh, and he also doesn't rotate very well. So if you, I can't really say I would trust him in a pick and roll situation. Actually, if he was at the four, um, usually slower to rotate onto guys, um, and it just it seem it seems better if you can, you know, keep him in the corner. He shoots very well from the corner, and also just make sure he's you know, in the post against smaller guys. He does have that corner jump shot, but other than that, he doesn't really shoot threes all that well. So he's not going to be a prototypical stretch for so he he's probably going to spend i would agree with you he's probably best suited to uh play on the wing long term so speaking of playing on the wing long term they've got zach levine and andrew wiggins probably locking up those two wing positions for the foreseeable future so 
Wiggins and Levine have struggled at times on the defensive end, which hopefully Thibodeau can change, but I'm certainly intrigued by why they've had difficulties on the defensive end. I mean, they're both really, really athletic. So do you think it's more of just a defensive knowledge issue, or do you think maybe they weren't trying as hard as they should have under Mitchell on the defensive end? Yeah, I think you got to point to just acknowledgement of it. Obviously, you know, Sam Mitchell, not very well known for his defensive prowess uh, uh, as a coach. And I think Tibbs is going to get the most effort out of those guys. Uh, like I mentioned before, there's nothing about Andrew Wiggins that doesn't say he, sh- he shouldn't be a star defensive player. He, athletic-wise, build-wise, Levine as well, actually, now that I think about it, they're both just like long, athletic, quick guys, and it's going to come along for them. Wiggins has always kind of struggled defensively in college. He was a big defensive liability at some point. I think it's just a matter of time for both of them. You know, it's so funny to me when people, you know, say, well, why haven't they done this or why haven't they done this? It's like Andrew Wiggins is 21 years old. You know, he he has so much more time to improve on both sides of the ball. And I think right now defense is their number one priority. They've, they've actually played better defense this year than, you know, Obviously, like we said, small sample size, but they've played, they've looked more focused on defense this year. I think, especially getting out of, um, we'll go into this more, but, uh, getting out of, you know, offensive slumps, they actually look a lot better, um, getting back on defense. You know, when, when, uh, both games actually this year, they've come out to start the third quarter very slow offensively, and their defense really hasn't been that big of an issue for them. The thing about Wiggins, you mentioned he's 21 and people are already pretty hard on his weak areas, but he started 81 games last year. He started 82 games his rookie year. He scored almost 21 points a game last year. I mean, it's it's easy to look at a hyper-athlete like Wiggins and say, well, why isn't he a better defensive player? But He's 21 years old and he's already, he's already a 20 point a game scorer. Like, it's, it's so easy to overlook just how incredible he's been already. And I think part of that is because he played alongside arguably the best rookie of the past 20 years in Carl Anthony Towns. And the, the other best rookie before that, Kevin Garnett, one of the best defensive players of all time. So, I mean, it's a, it's a matter of time for them. The right people are finally around both of those guys. So it's just a matter of time for them to you know pick up the right habits and get the right feet work, and it, it'll it'll come along for them. No no doubt in my mind, especially for Wiggins. It's just uh, a matter of you know being knowledgeable and having the right position on defense. So let's move on to a discussion of an article you wrote earlier in October which was an overview of what will constitute success for the Timberwolves this season. So you said early on that you thought they'd have a good shot at 42 and 40 and maybe sneaking into the eighth seed in the Western Conference, but they only won 29 games last year and they're still so young and most of their success appears to be, and fingers crossed on that one, 
but most of their success appears to be in front of them. So what are your thoughts on, you know, what, what they might look like, especially towards the middle of the season? You know, maybe if they're hovering around 500, do you think they might try and push for a trade or what are your thoughts on what they should try and do this, this season? Yeah. I mean, if you, if everything goes as planned and they are able to run out this, you know, this lineup of, uh, Towns, Levine, Wiggins, Jang, and, uh, and Rubio, uh, then you, you know, you keep it going. If they're, even if they can't, you know, even if they just slip out of the playoffs, uh, their last year's Jazz or something like that, there's, that's still an improvement. That's still, you know, something that's still, you know, better than 29 games. Yeah. And it's, it's not like they're, say, I don't know, the Knicks, maybe a team that's built much more for this season than the next few seasons. They are very much built for two or three seasons down the line where they could, I mean, I think in the next, I would be shocked if the Timberwolves are not in the top three of the Western Conference within the next four years. Yeah. And it's just, I mean, if you, if you, if you get to, you know, the mid midway point of the season and it's just looking like it's not going to work. I mean, I think uh, not confirmed rumors, but rumors that Rubio has said, you know, if they don't make the playoffs, he's going to, you know, look somewhere else in free agency this summer. So, I mean, maybe you look to a trade then, but even, even then, I mean, I've, I've campaigned this idea before and I don't know how much, you know, support I get on it really, but Rubio would be an amazing sixth man. He'd be such a great sixth man. And if done as is advertised, you know, 20, 40, 60 games into the season, go ahead and start him and put Rubio on the bench because he's going to be great in that position. There's no real reason to do a shakeup right now because they're not, they're not going to get to the Western Conference Finals. If they make the playoffs, it's going to be a squeak into the playoffs and they'll just be happy to be there, honestly. I think that you got to run with what you have now and when next offseason comes, you then you look towards building, you know, like you said, for the next uh, three or four years down the line. The one, the one trade that I think might make sense for them to look into, I mean, this mainly comes from the fact that Carl Anthony Towns can find a way to play with pretty much any big man because he has every possible skill you can look for in in a power forward slash center. He's quick. He shot the highest percentage in the league on mid-range jumpers last year. He can shoot beyond the three-point line. He's like an 80% free throw shooter. But I'm just not sure Corgi Jang is the right piece next to him long-term, just because I think Jang doesn't really open the floor for Cat as much as maybe someone else could. So it's hard to get a good return on Jang, and Maybe if he continues to play like he has in the first couple of games and like he did down the stretch of last season, he can sort of blow those talks away just purely on the strength of his own game. But I don't know. I'm not, I'm not entirely sold on Jang yet. And he's, he's looked good to start the year. I would agree for sure. I mean, he's to start this year. He's looked great. Like you said, I mean, He's barely 27 years old, so there's not a real concern right now. But if they are looking to extend him, you know, like you said, it'll go into 
his early 30s, and he, he isn't the long-term answer for them at that position. But at this point, it's like, what are you going to get back for him that's going to make you better? So it's really hard to say what they can do with him at this point. Yeah, but on the other hand, if you have Carl Anthony Towns, you really you can't <laughs> go wrong. I mean, maybe it's maybe it's a bit early to say these sorts of things, but I would have had him as third team Hall NBA last year. I mean, he he was fantastic then, and there's it would be there's not enough time on this podcast or really in this world for me to say enough about how wonderful Carl Anthony Towns has been. I could do a a daily podcast on him and it wouldn't even talk. I wouldn't even talk about his basketball skills. I would talk about just him as a person. That too. I mean, some of his interviews, he's already one of the best interviews in the league. Although uh, Joel Embiid is coming hard for that crown. Number one for player that I've done a 180 on the quickest is Joel Embiid. After after the fact that he's somehow still maintained as much of a smile on his face after every game after these last two years, like the fact that he's still as happy as he seems to be all the time, it's just it's it's infectious. But this isn't a Sixers podcast. This is a Timberwolves podcast. So let's uh, move back to Andrew Wiggins and talk about you know his very minimal flaws again. I feel like. I feel like people are just so keen to pick on his flaws when he's still so young, but his his three-point shooting has not been there for his first few years. He shot 31% as a rookie. He shot 30% last year. So do you, how big of an issue is that going to be for them? I mean, he's so effective from the mid-range and he draws fouls like a young James Harden, but that lack of a three pointer could could be could be an issue for them going forward. What are your what are your thoughts on that? This three point shot doesn't bother me right now, honestly. I I realize that it you know obviously is big room for improvement, but the reason why it doesn't bother me and you kind of touched on it is because he gets fouled so much and he's able to draw fouls and he has great footwork. He gets into the paint. He scores in the mid-range, and then he misses his free throws. <laughs> you have the Timber- the the or the Grizzlies game where they lose by four points, and you have the Kings game this year where they lose by three points. But we'll we'll talk about the Kings game later. As a Kings fan, I am going to relish the opportunity to gloat. But in both games, you can point to key moments where Andrew Wiggins missed free throws. Like I don't care that you can't make your threes. Make your free throw, and this goes for the whole team. The whole team shot terribly from the free throw line in both games, honestly. But him specifically, if he's getting to the line like that, make your free throws, kid. Just do it. Like I, I, I mean, it's that's tougher to watch than him missing three pointers. Honestly, he is he is seventy six percent from the line for his career, though. So I mean, overall, he's been a he's been a solid. A solid shooter from the line. Just he did he did struggle in some important situations in the first couple of games. But let's move on uh, from a seventy six percent free throw shooter to an eighty two percent free throw shooter. And in my opinion, anyway, the player who's really going to make or break the Wolves' future, and that's Zach Levine. He 
he is a solid three-point shooter already. He shot 39% last year after an up-and-down rookie season. Uh, he looked much better on both ends in his second year than he did during his rookie year, where particularly on defense, he was just lost a lot of the time. But in Wiggins and Towns, I think if either of those guys made fewer than five All-Star games in their careers, I would be genuinely shocked. But I think a lot of the Wolves' future will depend on just how good Zach Levine can be. So what are your thoughts on the role he's going to play this year? Do you think this is the year that he makes the leap from sort of below-average starter to key piece of their future? I want to think so. I want to say so for him. I think that this year he could you know, be a guy that potentially averages 18 to 20 points a game for, them, for him. Uh, I don't think that's too far out of the question for him. He's looked really good the first two games. His three-point shot still is steady, as he showed through, throughout the preseason and uh, very early on this season. Um, and he's also getting, you know, he's not getting a, more looks in Tibbs' offense. I think he could be getting more looks, and he should be, honestly, the way that they're the, the uh, three-quarter um, – their third quarter performances have been this so far this season. I think he should be getting the ball more in those times that when Towns is struggling or Wiggins is struggling. Um, but it, he at right now he's their most reliable shooter, so he's somebody that they need to look to on offense, and um, he can definitely come through for them for sure. Yeah, being the third option on offense as well, I think Levine is really well fit for that sort of a role just because he's such a good shooter and. Also, the kind of monster athlete that if he gets anywhere close to the rim, everybody is getting out of the way because, as he showed in the last two dunk contests, if Zach Levine gets in the air, it is over. It is absolutely over. Uh, so before we wrap up, let's just talk quickly about the, the first two games. Uh, start off with their game against Memphis, which... Minnesota controlled the first half, and then that third quarter was just a was just a disaster for them. Uh, so I saw I saw a little bit of that of that game, and honestly, their offense just just stagnated. But do you have any any more specific thoughts on on that game? I mean, that's pretty much it. Yeah, I the <laughs> the sixteen to one run. If that ends up being the high point of the Timberwolves season, I'm gonna be so upset. Uh, it was incredible to watch the first uh, six, five, six, five minutes of that game or so. Um, but after that, you know, they kind of got caught in the, uh, got caught up on things. Definitely stagnated in the third quarter. Uh, free throw shooting was a big, big, big problem for them. Um, but uh, I, it's I, I didn't see anything that can't be fixed. There's just a lot of kinks in their offense right now. Things that are get worked out uh, over the course of the season, for sure. Yeah, the other thing was, and maybe this is why they might need to make a trade to fill out that four spot, Zach Randolph just mauled them coming off the bench. He ended up he ended up with a double-double, and he just made Bielitsa look like a child for, for, most of, for most of those minutes he played off the bench. I know that we're going to touch on the Kings, but Costa Cufos did the same thing, so... That is a problem for them. <laughs> oh, Costa Cofos did, did 
do the same thing. I am going to enjoy this. Let's move on to that Kings game. I think the most interesting thing for me about that game was Sacramento, especially last season, struggled in that third quarter. And however bad the third quarter was for the T-Wolves against Memphis, it was it was a lot worse uh, against the Kings. Uh, I I remember at halftime the Wolves were up double digits, and I was like, okay, this this game's over. I can turn it off. I can I can watch something else, go away, read a book, do something. This game's this game's over. And then that third quarter, the Kings almost outscored them by twenty, and Rudy Gay, after allowing Wiggins to go for was it 21 in the first half? Yeah. After that, he just shut him off, which Rudy Gay has never been the world's best defender, but, I mean, Wiggins just couldn't do anything after that third quarter, and Rudy was torching him at the other end. Uh, DeMarcus also did a lot better job on Carl Anthony Towns than I was expecting. I mean... DeMarcus Cousins is the best center in the league, and I will fight anyone who says otherwise, but he almost doubled Cat's scoring output, and he held him off the glass, and just, I think it was after that T in the second quarter, which was, I love DeMarcus Cousins, but that was a really stupid technical foul, but yeah, I mean, after after halftime, Carl Anthony Towns was struggling. Wiggins was seriously struggling. I mean, the only the only guy on the Wolves who looked good after halftime to me was Zach Levine. And actually, Gorgie Jang looked pretty solid throughout the game. Uh, he actually finished with a plus 15. Uh, the only player on either team that did better than that was Aaron Afalo for the Kings. So Jang looked really good. But the fact that Wiggins and Towns just sort of disappeared in the second half was really troubling for Minnesota. Yeah, and I, I'm, that's that's the occurring theme for them right now. I'm hoping that it, it changes up in the next game, but I, I can't give them too much of a hard time on the loss against the Kings because the Kings played... They I, I don't know what's going on right now. Like They played really well against San Antonio, too. So... They're just a good team. Two words. Dave Yeager. Exactly. That's all you need. Exactly. Dave Yeager. That's it. It's just that simple. Like, Rudy Gay looks like he... I don't know that he is happy, but he looks like he's playing happy. Like, he's playing really read well. read his media comments, he does not appear to be happy. But, hey, well, yeah, Dave but Yeager could turn that ship around, too. It's it, Like, they all just look... Like, even, even Lawson, who, like... I follow Lawson since he was in Carolina, and he, like... I, like, there's something about them that... I don't know that they're going to make the playoffs. I don't know how good they're going to be, but they're a lot better than they were last year, and you can't beat the Timberwolves up for losing that game. It was three points, but that's a really good Sacramento Kings team right now. Yeah, they are They are so much more fun to watch than they were last year. Yeah. All right, uh, anything else you want to go over before we wrap things up? No, I think the, the only thing that uh, I uh, want to say is get out and vote. Yeah, if you're in America, please, please, please get. I don't care what you write down. Just get out and vote. Do it. If you can vote in America, get out and vote. But that's enough non-basketball for today. He's Devin Domino. You can follow him on Twitter at Devin Domino Eleven. That's D E V I N D O M I N O One One. I'm at NBA underscore Johnson N B A underscore J O H N S O N. 
You can also follow the hashtag basketball website at hash basketball, H-A-S-H, basketball. I hope you all know how to spell that. The website does a lot of great stuff in terms of keeping up with current news and current injury history. So really a great follow. And you can find our work on hashtag basketball.com. Thanks so much for listening.